This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Monday, April 17th. Cooler than we've had for the last little stretch. A high today of only 10 degrees. Looks like cloudy skies and a slight chance of showers. Even colder tomorrow. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, a weekend of violence leaves three dead. Number two, Olivia Chow expected to shake up the mayor's race at 10.30 this morning. Number three, government restoring Hockey Canada's funding as Canada's women's team loses gold. Number four, provincial liberals will choose their next leader in December. And number five, the Fox News trial is delayed amid rumors of a settlement offer. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Happy Monday to you, if that is at all a possibility. I realize some people, you know, some kids probably sit bolt upright in bed, can't wait to get back to school. Some people adore their jobs so much, can't wait for that. I, I'm a very lucky person. I like my job. But it feels like I never got a weekend. Had a fundraiser, which I'm always proud to help out at, but, you know, it's working. Did a fundraiser for my charity, Hands Across the Nations, on Saturday. And then yesterday was a celebration of life in Oakville for a cousin. And that's the cousin, for those of you who've been here for the long journey, that's the cousin that I share with Becky Coles, who you may remember used to be one of the producers on More in the Morning. And then she went to produce for Jerry. And I forget how we found it out. I mean, it's not like we're from Alabama or something. It was just that we both through, for me, through marriage anyway, we were both related to the same person who passed away. And so yesterday we all got together and uh, celebrated her extraordinary life, including the last 11 years of which she spent as a quadriplegic. Um, But never seemed to keep her down. Boy, is there a lot of stuff going on today. Getting ready for the show has been not necessarily a struggle, but sort of triaging, prioritizing everything that you need to know this morning. I mean, we start with a police blotter that is so long that it's it's just going to be a dizzying recitation of intersections and uh, means by which somebody was injured or murdered. But, you know, very quickly we go through the weekend And we have a 38-year-old man from Kitchener who died after being shot on Saturday at Trithui and Kiel. We have a 24-year-old man shot in a laneway near Bloor West in Concord, dead at the scene. Up to 10 shots heard in the neighborhood, two people running away on a surveillance camera. Uh, One person stabbed inside a residence at Kingston Road and uh, Galloway Road. Uh, He was rushed to hospital. Looks like he's maybe, actually, it's life-threatening injuries, so, uh, you know cross our fingers. Um, Another person stabbed at Dundas and Chestnut expected to recover. And then there's the uh, odd case of a person who was found without vital signs at Queen West and Lisgar after a fight. So it's not said as to whether they died as a result of the fight itself, or perhaps there's a stabbing that is yet to be detected. Uh, That was at around nine last night. And then worth noting, you know, for All the concern of people who get into trouble but are sometimes living a life that might lead to them getting into that level of trouble. We have a woman who was killed in a hit and run in Etobicoke, so motor vehicle uh, incident there. I won't call it an accident. A hit and run is not an accident. 
And then that story of the 61-year-old man, remember we talked about this last week, he's unloading his groceries from the back of his car, minding his own business. Somebody who was said to be asleep at the wheel plows into his vehicle, knocks him backwards, and he has passed away as a result of that. I'll have to go into um, the media section at Toronto Police Service, the last number I had for homicides in our city. And I don't know that that counts as a homicide. It may end up being involuntary manslaughter or something. But out-and-out homicides was 15 as of this weekend. So in spite of this recitation of shootings, stabbings, fightings, uh, and various other things, the rate at which people are being murdered in our city is actually still relatively low. But still, you know... You hear on a Monday morning about all of these incidents of stabbings and shootings and people inside and outside and suspects fleeing and 10 shots fired. And it just sort of plays into the overall chaos that this city seems to be living, which may or may not play well for Olivia Chow, because, you know, I find it to be such an interesting double jeopardy when it comes to Mark Saunders, former chief of police, running for mayor. And a lot of people point at him and say, see law and order. The guy understands law enforcement. He's a former police chief. He is, but he was police chief for what, six years. And I don't know that we can necessarily say that it was the day he walked out of headquarters that all of a sudden we ended up on the road to perdition. But Olivia Chow is making an announcement at 1030. She decided to forgo the ritual that every other candidate has gone through, which is to report to our studios and do an intake interview and make the announcement right here at News Talk 1010. Now, it's entirely possible that Olivia Chow is calling a press conference at 1030 this morning because she wants to announce to everybody that she's gone vegan or that she's organizing a flower arranging contest. I don't know. But I have a pretty good feeling she's running. I've had a lot of sources over the last couple of weeks tell me she already was. And... She really does shake things up because she's only the second candidate who can honestly be said to be running on the left. Also, she has considerable experience. Most importantly, she's got the machine behind her. Josh Matlow, you know, I can't speak authoritatively, but I know when he appeared here uh, for his interview, in which I thought he did fairly well, um, but he showed up with somebody he already works with. And I just don't, don't, I don't associate the notion of machine and Josh Matlow. Ditto for a lot of the other candidates who, you know, are never going to have that big an apparatus. But Mark Saunders definitely has a machine. And Olivia Chow will have the benefit of the NDP and their mailing lists and their door knockers and volunteers and the people who raise money if you're going to run from the left and the pollsters and organizers. All of that heft comes with her. But so does a heck of a lot of baggage. She's previously run and lost. Some people think that perhaps time has passed her by. Then you get to the big question of how Toronto votes. And that's not a predictable thing. I mean, provincially, federally, and locally, um, it's all over the map. And Toronto can easily be said to be a conservative city from time to time. And then at other times, it's almost like San Francisco North. Okay, let's say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, good morning. Hope you had a nice weekend. Unfortunately, it has been a weekend of violence. We saw two shootings, two stabbings, and one person has died after a fight at an apartment building. 
Yeah, it just sounds like a shopping list, doesn't it? I mean, we have a 38-year-old man from Kitchener died after being shot on Saturday. Um, we have a 24-year-old man shot in a laneway and left for dead. Police found his body on the scene. Ten shots fired there. Two people seen fleeing the scene. We had one person stabbed inside a residence at Kingston Road and uh, Galloway Road, uh, rushed to hospital with life-threatening injuries. And then there was another person who was stabbed at Dundas and Chestnut, expected to recover. And then there was this uh, curious situation where there was some sort of a fight. We don't know mm -hmm. if weapons were involved, uh, but one person was found without vital signs at Queen West and Lisgar. So uh, a disturbing weekend, and I think it kind of salts into the municipal mayor's race, where a lot of people are probably going to be talking about this today, a lot of the candidates. Yeah, I'm sure they will. And turning to the mayoral race, uh, former city councillor and NDP MP Olivia Chow, she's expected to declare her official uh, throwing her hat in the ring to become the next mayor. 10.30 this morning she is holding a press conference at Dragon City Mall pretty sure she's announcing that she's mm -hmm. going to be running for mayor I've been hearing she's already running for two weeks now believe it or not mm -hmm. she is the 47th person Jennifer to get into this race 47 people about eight to ten of whom I think are serious contenders and then there's often a shopping list of people who are just running for the fun of it Wow, yeah, it's certainly getting crowded. And turning to some provincial government mm -hmm. news, uh, Education Minister Stephen Lecce has announced money for math and literacy. Reading. You guys were covering this live yesterday. We're talking about it this morning because it's a pretty significant change. Stephen Lecce, the education minister, deciding to make an announcement on a Sunday, I guess because it made a bigger splash, $180 million on math and literacy help for kids. And what they're going to do is start using standardized testing to identify the kids who are challenged in math and in reading and then throw this extra money and a 1,000 new teachers and assistants mm. at them. Okay. And other news now, uh, Hockey Canada, their funding has been restored. Uh, this, uh, unfortunately, as the Canadian women lose to the U.S. at the Women's World Hockey Championships. I know. Well, we'll mm -hmm. get to the Canadian women's team in mm -hmm. a second, but let's start with the politics and the money. And the funding has been restored to Hockey Canada. All of this stemmed from the discovery that there was actually, I don't know if we can call it a slush fund, but some of the fees that parents were paying and some of the sponsorship fees were going into a fund to cover things that wouldn't be covered by insurance that might occur. Uh, so that funding is coming back. There are quite a few conditions and obviously a new board of directors, a new CEO. But off to Canada's women and what a, a disappointing day mm -hmm. yesterday because it was looking good off the top. They were looking for three in a row, but the team lost to the U.S. 6-3. to three. Yeah, that old rivalry, they were certainly uh, dominating up until this point. Uh, turning to this now, our last story, very interesting. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays player Anthony Bass, he called out United Airlines for making his 22-week-old pregnant wife, or 22-week pregnant wife, uh, clean up some popcorn on a fl flight. Yeah, I always like bringing a story to you for, as our kicker that mm -hmm. you can end up talking about on the couch. And we can talk about all kinds of important things like budgets and murder rates, but people are going to get so involved yeah. in a story like this. Anthony Bass on a plane, United Airlines, two little kids and the mom gives them popcorn and they make a huge mess and one of the attendants tells her to clean it up so the wife ends up down on her knees cleaning it up uh -huh. as you might imagine there is a vivid debate going on on twitter people saying don't give your kids messy food on a plane <laughs> other people saying why didn't he get down on his knees and clean it up and then others just saying hey united they're kids they're going to make a mess you can vacuum it up after mm -hmm. you land yeah there's a lot of back and forth about entitlement and who's responsible for cleaning up kids 
these messes. <laughs> I have three kids. I've traveled with them on planes, and I know, uh, yeah, it can be a dumpster fire. All right, News Talk 1010's John Moore. Have a great show. We'll chat with you again tomorrow. Take care. Jennifer Chang over at CP24. United Airlines responding to the tweet. We certainly understand your concern. We'd like to look into this. When you have a moment, please DM with your wife's confirmation number, along with any additional details regarding her interaction with this crew member. And you just know that she's going to end up with all kinds of points or they're going to refund her ticket. I haven't looked closely enough at the image to appreciate whether or not they were flying business class, but I have to imagine that a professional ball player probably does travel business class. And, uh, yeah, I, I, it always amuses me. I mean, Twitter is such a, a, a mess. It's a cauldron of acrimony these days. And so people have some very, very firm opinions about parenting and children traveling and privilege and then obnoxious client service and on and on and on it goes. So tell you what, it's 524. Let's pause for a second and then um, take stock and reprioritize and make sure we're digging into the right stories this morning and giving you all the perspective you need. Speaking of things people are angry about, incidentally, it's another thing that involved a uh, considerable mess. And it's I'm not going to mention her by name because she's a, a, a relentless publicity seeker. But the same young woman who made a spectacle of herself at the Juno Awards and actually made the Juno Awards worth watching for a few minutes um, threw pink paint all over the prime minister's office building on the weekend and then chained herself. And I, thought, I don't know necessarily we can call it a game changer, but I am encouraged that the uh, province has found new money, $188 million, to spend on math and literacy for kids. And you know, even without all the deprivations and sacrifice of COVID, I think kids would probably need remedial math and literacy. So they're creating a thousand extra teaching positions. Uh, this announced yesterday by Stephen Lecce, the education minister. To boost the skills that actually matter to the success of your child. So yes, back to basics, back to learning what matters most so that your children can graduate, they could own a home and get a good paying job. There you go. So uh, I don't think that this falls into the category that I always call it would be nice if. I think it's necessary because so there are many things that we spend money on in this province where I think, okay, sweet idea, but how do we pay for it? Uh, when it comes to remedial math and uh, reading, I can't think of too many things more important in preparing kids for whatever the future might hold. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.35 on a Monday morning. I was going to say what a gorgeous weekend, and certainly there are aspects of it that I remember from taking the dog out for walks, but I was kind of sprinting from one thing to another because I had a bunch of appointments and spent a lot of time indoors. So you ever have those days, kind of brings back memories of when you were a kid and you'd look outside and it was absolutely gorgeous and you'd think I should be out there, but you know, I have to, I have this, the chore that I have to do or that school assignment that I got to get through. And then you look outside again and you think, oh man, I should go ride my bike. So yeah, for me this weekend, the weather was gorgeous and it was so nice to be able to step outside without having to put on six layers and strap on a pair of boots and all that stuff. But that is behind us for the medium term. Today's high 10 degrees and tomorrow's high is only plus five degrees. So it really is that time of year where you're juggling around the layers and you're never quite sure what's going to work in the morning versus what's going to work in the afternoon. So 
Olivia Chow making her announcement at 1030. Now, it's entirely possible she'll say she's running for, I don't know, the leadership of the provincial liberals, um, that she bought a new hat. I don't know. But looks like she's going to declare for Toronto mayor, which makes it a really crowded field. I mean, argue with me if you will or want. But I made a list that I divided people into categories. Uh, serious contenders, people who could win. Mark Saunders, Josh Matlow, Brad Bradford, Anna Bailau, Olivia Chow. And then with apologies now, because all of their campaigns are going to complain. Uh, people who are contenders, but I don't think are amongst what I've taken to calling the preferiti. Preferiti are the um, people, the cardinals, who are regarded as potential popes. And when the conclave comes together, I don't know how many of them there are, but they already know who they think is the contender. And so then they just start a round robin of votes. Uh, so I believe the um, people who are contenders, but not the preferiti. Uh, Gil Penulosa, Mitzi Hunter, and Rob Davis. And I know some people would argue with me and say, why isn't, why don't you regard Mitzi Hunter as a front runner? Because I think Mitzi Hunter is one of those people who's very well known in political circles and much, much talked about. But I don't know that, you know, 2.7 million Torontonians are necessarily all aware of her or that she is top of mind as their next mayor. Now, she may make a very compelling case. We'll find out. Uh, then there are the people I put into a category of outliers and troublemakers, uh, people who like mixing it up. Um, Chloe Brown, I really enjoyed my conversation with Chloe Brown. Uh, Giorgio Mammoliti, who I think could actually be a contender because he could be the chaos candidate. People may look at this and decide, I really don't care. There is, you know, thanks to Donald Trump and a few others, there is an aspect these days to people who aspire to political office and more importantly, voter intentions, where people think, eh, they're all the same. Nobody's going to fix this city's wagon. I'm just going to continue to pay taxes. I'm still going to have to step over people in the subway. So might as well have Giorgio Mammoliti because it'll be fun. Uh, and I put Anthony Fury on that list as well, because Anthony Fury makes a good case and he's, he's running hard. I certainly come across him on social media a great deal. So I think he's um, at the very least going to make an impression. And then with respect to the dozens, literally dozens of other people who are running, I just, I don't see people standing out. Now, maybe I'm leaving somebody off the list who should be on the list. There's somebody who used to be a contributor here who's run several times before and is a fine man, but I just don't see him as um, a gen what I guess what I would call a generalized candidate. Somebody whom you could go to every ward in Toronto and say, what do you think of? And people go, oh, I know who he is, and I'm thinking about him. So, Olivia Chow, 10.30 this morning. Um, Jerry probably is in by now. I cannot imagine he's going to carry that live, but I know he's going to want to talk about it on his show, on the Jerry Agar show this morning. So, uh, as mentioned, and I'm not going to go through the whole shopping list, because uh, it's dizzying, and after a while, it's just a bunch of intersections and murder weapons. But a weekend where there were shootings and stabbings, and in one case, possibly a beating, we don't necessarily know. Um, the one shooting that is making a particular splash, when you get 10 shots heard and two people captured running away on surveillance footage, uh, and then the family insisting that the victim, 24-year-old man named Munawar Warsama, 
his family insists he was not involved in gang activity. And while he's not necessarily insisting he must be involved in a gang, Chris Lewis, our public safety expert and the former commissioner of the OPP, says it certainly bears all the hallmarks of a gangland shooting. I would hazard a guess that the two shootings were probably gang-related. I know one family member, one of the victims, said not involved in gangs, and maybe not. But nobody goes and fires 10 shots like that traditionally in the city of Toronto without being gang-related. So that's Chris Lewis. And um, I didn't put it on the roundtable this morning because I just, where would the discussion go? Um, There are things that fall into a category I call hand-ringers and where everybody then gets devolves into a high-minded discussion of root causes and stuff like that. And I just don't know where the discussion can be advanced. And also, there is going to be a baseline amount of crime in every city. So the real alarms have to go off if we are detaching from our, our baseline of uh, criminality in the city. So I was asking the question before we took the break, how young is too young to be put in charge of other people's lives? Again, a lot of questions this morning. I look forward to our pundits. I look forward to hearing from you. You can always text us at 71010. You can get into the vivid debate that uh, often ends up happening on Twitter. But Ontario is having a hard time finding lifeguards like every other uh, job in this province. It's become the workers' market, and a lot of people just aren't turning out. And so here's one job. Remember when you were a teenager, if you were so inclined, and you went and you got that that medallion, and you became a lifeguard, and then you couldn't wait to spend the whole summer with uh, white um, grease on your nose in a red bathing suit, and uh, it was a great job? Well, they can't find enough lifeguards. So... They're thinking of lowering the minimum age for lifeguards to 15. Currently, it's 16. But the thing is, you can qualify. You can meet all of the requirements for the National Lifeguard Certification at the age of 15. So they're ready. It's just whether or not you feel that a 15-year-old has has the goods to be a lifeguard. I think a 15-year-old with the right disposition and probably one who would go through lifeguard training is probably, it's kind of like, you know, when somebody becomes a pilot. And if you are of the personality type and skill to become a pilot, you're probably going to be a very, very safe pilot. And I'd imagine if you're a 15-year-old who's gone through all the hoops and hurdles of becoming a lifeguard, you'd probably be ready to do the job. But you know what? I leave this in the hands of people who know 15-year-olds, especially parents. Um, you know, would you leave them alone in the house? Um, it's not a matter of whether you would trust them with the car because they're not old enough to have a license, but that's, uh, it's just one of the things that we're having to shift around because we can't find people to do the job. And if we can't find enough lifeguards, then we're not going to be able to open some beaches and some pools, or we're going to have to ease back on the hours. Um, they're actually, one of the calls is for the province to be a little bit more welcoming to veteran lifeguards or part-time lifeguards or say somebody who holds the certification and is, you know, a stay-at-home worker or something like that, but they'd be ready to work from 11 to 2 or something like that. You know, we could show a little bit more flexibility. 
Uh, there's another debate, and we're coming up against traffic and a look at weather and the five things. So maybe we'll talk about it in greater depth in just a moment. But there's a bit of a shakeup going on in the pot retail industry, mostly because it hasn't quite worked out the way it was supposed to. And the latest is renewing the call, because this is not new. I have supported this call in the past. Renewing the call to end this practice of blocking the view into pot shops from the street. Like I said, it's, a, it's not a complicated issue, but there are enough angles to it that we're going to wait until we're on the other side of traffic and weather to talk about it in greater depth. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Yeah, and Fox could end up being an abject loser, but more on that in a moment. Uh, pot shops in Toronto, and as a matter of fact, this is happening in cities across Canada. In a lot of jurisdictions, you are not allowed to see into the shop. So they've done one of two things. Either they have smoky windows uh, on the street, or they have a glass window, but you have to take this sort of, you know, it's almost like going into a maze. You got to go in, take a turn, take another turn, and that's so nobody can see the evil product inside. If something is legal, then why are we still getting so sweaty about it? I mean, all of the LCBOs are glass from floor to ceiling with bottles in the windows, but let it never be forgotten. Somebody remember the year that they uh, changed the policy where you had, it was like going to a bank where you had to decide what you wanted and write it down and hand it to somebody through a grill and they would go and get your hooch sometimes with a very disagreeable that it was like that in Montreal when I was growing up and it was just I guess the sensibility was this is bad for you so you're going to have to work for it and we're going to have to continue to pretend that there is something grave about you walking into a shop also that we're keeping tabs you know like everybody's going to look at this list and go oh really wow gin uh so one of the problems for pot shops it's not about marketing it's about safety Somebody can go in there and start trashing the shop and stealing stuff, or they can pull out a gun and ask for whatever cash might be in the till, and nobody can see it from the street. Now, anywhere else, if there's a level of, you know, if something malign is happening in a jewelry shop or a bank, at least somebody passing by can see that, pull out their phone and call 911. In a pot shop, nobody knows anything until somebody walks out, and if they've, you know, if they had a gun or a knife and they put it away, nobody's going to know until the clerk comes running out and says, "Somebody call the cops." So they say it would be safer. And then one last note in all of this is something I was pointing out very early in this whole adventure, and I'm fully in favor of retail pot. It's not my jam, as a friend of mine likes to say, um, but I just never quite understood why pot was any different from booze. They both have more or less the same effect and some medical scientific people actually argue that it's less deleterious to your health. Um, but early on in this, because of this business of having to shield you from the inside of the pot shop, one of the aspects, especially because sometimes there were two and three pot shops in one city block, it's lifeless. So instead of walking by and looking in and saying, oh, there's some nice clothing merchandise, or there's some people having a glass of wine, there are some people having some coffee, there's a tailor working on something, you walk by and it is completely neutral. And 
study after study after study for decades has shown that people feel better about either being in a neighborhood or it being their neighborhood when there is some kind of interface from one place to the next, one after the other. And so that sucks the life out of a portion of a neighborhood. So on the weekend, and like I said, I don't want to give her attention by mentioning her name, but uh, there's a lot of reaction on Twitter when I posted a picture of this activist, I guess we can call her, throwing a bucket of pink paint on the outside of the wall of the building that the prime minister's secondary cabinet, actually, no, it's his principal cabinet rooms and his principal office, but it's a very drab office building, beautiful in the outside, but on the inside, reminds me of like Concordia University, which never really was a design favorite. And she was posting, uh, she was protesting climate change, so she threw a bucket of pink paint, then chained herself to a rail, and oh, before she chained herself, she ripped off her top. And eventually a very, trying to think of the right word, unimpressed police officer engaged her and she was led away. I don't know if she has been officially charged. I said on Twitter, make her clean it up. And then all sorts of people followed that remark with, with a toothbrush. Now, if it's the same paint that was used that was thrown on a mastodon at an airport, uh, not an airport, a museum, in BC, then it's washable paint. So at the very least, they can just come in with a hose and wash it off. Um, and I'm certainly sympathetic to the frustrations of many people who don't fear or don't feel that we're making enough progress on the environment. But it's vandalism, plain and simple. It's self-promoting. She made a big fool of herself at the Juno Awards by walking on stage topless with a rather odd assortment of grievances written on her body. Um, and now, you know, she's pulled off this protest in Ottawa. I like this. This is the last thought here on this one. Uh, she's part of a group and she says they're intending to organize a caravan to come to Ottawa in August. And I'm pretty sure when that happens, a whole bunch of the people who actually thought that the convoy protest in Ottawa was legitimate and the, you know, go, 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 will be the very same people who want the cops to go in and crack heads on the first day. Was mentioning the Fox News defamation trial and it was supposed to open up today. We're still going to talk with, I think it's Rory O'Neill, uh, Joe Cristiano. Okay. NBC reporter Rory O'Neill is following that story. We'll talk with him because he was going to set us up for day one, which I think was going to be about concluding jury selection and perhaps even getting to opening arguments. But it has been delayed, and there's a lot of whispering that that's because Fox is going to settle. And that would not come as a surprise. Fox, they've got Fox dead to rights. Fox made up a story and lied about it. And their defense that they, well, it was a lot of people who were telling the story and we just interviewed them. We were debriefing them. That's news. No, news is figuring out whether something that somebody wants to say on your network or in your newspaper is actually true before you let them say it. And, you know, the texts show that all of the hosts knew that these people were whack jobs, that it was a, a lie. And they went ahead and said something about, a corporation that has caused that corporation to lose business and lose money. And the worst thing for Fox would be, not only does everybody already know this story, although of course it hasn't been reported on Fox, but 
putting each of your hosts, one after the other, on the stand and asking them if they knew it wasn't true and watching them like a four-year-old who got caught doing something bad, watching them all go, yes, I knew it wasn't true. Then, you know, that would be even worse for the brand. So I just wonder what the terms are. I would imagine Fox's first order is, or first offer would be, we'll give you a dollar and say we're sorry. And I'd imagine what Dominion wants is that each host has to sit in front of a camera and admit and read a statement admitting that they lied. And I would imagine they want their billion dollars. It's 5.55, moments away from the 6 a.m. news on a very busy morning that promises to get even more. Well, I don't know. I was going to say get more exciting. I don't know how scintillating it's going to be watching Olivia Chow declare she's running for mayor. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.